Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, our theme for today is Don't Crowd Your Day with Work. Now, how's that for a start off for a show where we're going to talk about work? Well, we'll come back to that. Hey, our show today's partner is Casper Mattress. You hear me talk about him a lot. That's the one people fight over at the Miller Compound. The Casper Mattress. You can get $50 off any mattress purchase. Now, here's here's the key. You got to use this unique URL, casper.com slash sleepyoulove. And then use the promo code sleepyoulove. Yeah, we talk about work you love, but sleepyoulove is just as important. So that's the deal there. Well, don't crowd your day with work. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at today. Dan, I'm having trouble keeping jobs. I need help. I need a psychologist. Well, we'll talk about that. Somebody says, I lost my job a month ago, started a new one this week. I got a text from my boss this morning saying I'm done. My husband is 31. He's a college grad has hopped around different jobs and has not really found anything that he finds fulfilling. And I feel like a rocket car primed and ready to explode, but I can't get it into first gear. And then here's one I want to unpack a little bit today. This is going to be, eh, we're going to have some surprises here, I guess. Dan, I thought I could make money from my writing and you just left me hanging. Yeah, I talked about the fact recently. I said, don't expect your writing to make you income. Well, heard from a whole lot of people who can't understand how, as an author, I would say such a thing. Well, we're, we're going to talk about that. Got some statistics I want to share with you to get a realistic overview of writing. I love writing. I'm not going to tell you not to write. I'm just going to tell you to be realistic about what you think it's going to do for you financially. Well, this quotation for today comes from Henry David Thoreau. I'm reading through his journal right now. It's like 740 pages, just a journal he kept. And that's a compilation. I mean, that's just a condensation rather. It's not the whole thing, but just some amazing wisdom in there. But here's one of the things Henry David Thoreau told us. The truly efficient laborer will not crowd his day with work, but will saunter to his task surrounded by a wide halo of ease and leisure and then do what he loves best. Now, what about you? Is that the way that you go to work every morning? You're not going to crowd your day with work. You're going to saunter to the task surrounded by a wide halo of ease and leisure and then just simply do what you love most. Well, we're going to hear from a whole lot of people today and questions that do not have that perspective for their work yet. Do I think it's possible? Absolutely. Well, we're going to go into our success stories and get right to some of those questions. Again, I just want to remind you our partner sponsor today is Casper Mattress. You can get $50 off any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash sleep you love and then use the promo code. It's unique to us. If you go to that page, casper.com slash sleep you love, you'll see a welcome for 48 days listeners right there. And then use Sleep You Love as the code to make sure you get that $50 discount. Free delivery comes right to your door. UPS brings it. You don't have to go down, strap it onto the top of your car. It's an amazing experience to cut the box open and watch that baby unfold. We've had a lot of fun as they've been delivered here multiple times, watching it find its natural space. You better have it in the room where you want it. We learned that the hard way. When I opened one here back here at the sanctuary and we really wanted that one to be at our house. But anyway, have fun with it. Casper.com sleep you love. Well, here's some success stories. Alan Petrie is starting a mastermind group for creative entrepreneurs. Now he put this out as a discussion. It may be filled at this point, but you can check it out. Um, uh, these are things that are on 48days.net. A couple of things I want to mention here just to draw your attention to. Most of you are members there. You know, we've got a big audience there now, people who are serious about turning their ideas into reality. But Alan is starting a mastermind group for creative entrepreneurs. Um, put the word out, had a whole lot of response to that really quickly. 
Robert DeBruce has a new article on the Good Men Project. Now, you hear me talk about that a lot. A lot of people have taken the advice. A lot of people are getting coached by Kamanzi Constable on how to get your articles out on major websites. And people are following him, getting his coaching, reading his material. Robert DeBruce has a new article on the Good Men Project titled, When a Man is Down to His Last Dollar. Bob Wilson has an article on the Good Men Project titled, Rediscovering Yourself During and After Divorce. Kingsley Grant has two new articles in the Good Men Project, Five Surefire Ways to Sabotage Your Relationships, and then Satisfying These Three Needs Makes Her Feel Loved. Now, again, I love seeing people take action with their writing and getting their articles out there. But what you're going to hear as a common theme as I talk about this is those things support a real back-end business. There are other things that are part of the business. Now, I'll, I'll save, I'll keep you in suspense here for a little bit because I'm going to come back to that issue about, gee, Dan, you left me hanging because you deflated my balloon thinking that I could make a lot of money writing. Well, before we get to that, Dr. Clark Gaither, who is uh, involved in the 40 Days community and my mastermind, he's in our coaching mastery program. He's written a book, Powerful Words, is his book. Nick Pavlidis, you've heard me talk about that, Confessions of a Terrible Husband. There's a whole lot of you out there writing. I love hearing your stories about the writing that you're doing. Some of the hot blogs this week were one, this was written by my daughter, Ashley Logston. No, really, I love my kids. That one's gotten a lot of traction out there. Marcy Davis, or Marcy Travis, rather, wrote a, a blog, Company Perks You'll Want to Seek. Bill Farrell has a hot new post up, How to Blow Up Your Life, Six Steps to a Bigger Life. Lynn Watts wrote a post, Four Secrets to Creating Positive Energy. And I love seeing people that are doing a whole lot of things in the writing space that then lead people to their real business. Well, just a reminder, we got the Coaching with Excellence event coming up. The last open one for this year will be coming up September 3rd and 4th right here. A couple other things. A lot of you hear me talk about my podcast coach, Cliff Ravenscraft. I mean, he helped me position myself for the most powerful marketing tool that I have for my business, that being this podcast. I mean, I've never experienced anything as powerful as a podcast. Now, again, Uh, The podcast is not my business. It's just one of the things that helps people recognize the other things that we do in the real business. But Cliff has his podcasting A to Z course starting up on Monday, August 10th. So that's coming up pretty quickly. You can use a discount code 48 days to get an immediate $500 discount. And that's already a real reasonable fee. So that's a whopping discount. $500 $500 off if you use 48 days and just go to podcasting a to z.com. That's Cliff's new course be starting up. Well, it's it, not a new course. It's the one that's helped a whole lot of people get started with their podcasting as a powerful piece of their business. But anyway, those are some things that are coming up there. Well, I'm eager to get to some of these poignant questions that you all have coming in here. So we're going to cut it right there. You got a success story, I'd be delighted to hear it. Hearing from a whole lot of you on some cool things that are developing. You know, here we are. Well, we're already into August by the time you're hearing this. So that means we're well past the halfway point for this year. This year is flying by. We're going to be saying 2016 real quickly. So if you got a success story you want to share, just go to the 48days.com site, click on Ask Dan. And you'll see there a little red starburst where you can share your question or your success story with us there. Or you can just shoot it to askdan at 48days.com. Well, this comes from Eli, who says, I'm having trouble keeping jobs. I need help. Do you have any psychologist you would recommend? My insurance runs out at the end of this month, so I need to act quickly. I was self-employed for years, but had to start working for companies to get a steady paycheck and insurance for my family. My friend that recommended you said I should try to speak with you in person. I don't know if you have time to do this, but if you do, please let me know. I really need help understanding what I'm doing wrong in the workplace to keep from getting laid off or fired. Thanks, Eli. Well, um, let's see. You don't say how old you are 
Eli, I'm I'm going to assume that you're young. Let's 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 say that you're in your 20s. You know how long the average job is for somebody in their 20s in the United States at this point? The average job length for somebody in their 20s is 13 months. I mean, it, changing jobs is pretty common. Now, you say you're having trouble keeping jobs and that you're getting laid off or fired. Yeah, that bears looking at, you know, what is it that people don't like about having you on their team? I mean, just ask them. And you'll have people that will be honest with you if you've had that many getting laid off or fired. Yeah, ask them. Geez, what's up with that? Now, now one of the things that you talk about in here uh, kind of gets my curiosity piqued, to say the least. And that is, I was self-employed for years, but had to start working for companies to get a steady paycheck and insurance for my family. Now, I'm not sure what's up with that, but if you've been, if you were self-employed for years, for one thing, you probably have seen too much. My experience is, my observation is that people who have been self-employed for any length of time have a hard time going back to an employee model, making themselves an employee. They've been spoiled with the time freedom and the open-ended income possibility. Now, what I would suggest that is probably going to be true for you is that you need to go back and visit self-employment. Just do it better. If you've did it several times and you weren't successful, you know what? You're a whole lot closer to the ultimate success that most people are looking for. Usually when somebody's self-employed, it's not a big success the first time around or the second time around. But in doing that, you learn how to do it better. And ultimately, you discover the freedom and the unlimited income that comes from being self-employed that you're never going to experience in being in a job. And I suspect, you know, when you've been used to working for yourself, you're used to making all the decisions, you may not handle supervision real well. But just ask for honest feedback from those who have had you on their team as to what happened. Try to get a feel for that. You know, millennials, again, if you're in that generation, you know, they don't think that they have an obligation to be on a job longer than a year. But here are the things that they're looking for. And these things are probably true for you, Eli, as well. The things millennials are looking for, this Gen X, Gen Y generation, three things, mission, mastery, and autonomy. We all want that. Those are the things that really keep us there. It's not even pay. It's not the job itself. It's knowing that we're part of something important, having a mission, mastery, something that we can do really well, but then autonomy. So we aren't micromanaged, having somebody look over our shoulder. We really are given a lot of freedom in what we do. Now, that being said, (laughs) you you say you're having trouble keeping jobs. Man, Eli, I'm right there with you. I would have a really hard time keeping a job. I mean, you just have to recognize it's, it's just how some of us are wired. But when you consider all the new work models today, I mean, when we look at independent contractor, freelancer, entrepreneur, um, contingency worker. I mean, there's a whole lot of terms for new work models where it's not really quite the same as just having a job, but you can still fight, figure out what it is you do well and then do that consistently. You might do better having a project to complete. You might find something that you do really well that you can frame into consistent income. I mean, no one can say you need a job. You just recognize responsibility to produce income and have insurance. Hey, that's, that's not a big deal either. There's a whole lot of ways to do that in today's environment. If you're self-employed, you know, you can have an HSA, a health savings account. I mean, there's some really cool options for people to cover the health part. You don't need a job to take care of that. What you do need is to find a way to focus your unique talents and passions in a way that will create you know, sufficient income for you to be responsible and enjoy the life you choose. Now, I don't know your particular situation. There's so many variables in this, but you don't need to find a job that fits you from a short list. You can create work that's meaningful for, for you. Will you hear me talk about that week after week here? I mean, that's the way that it's done. Well, this one comes from Ryan, kind of similar theme here in some of these. Ryan says, I lost my job a month ago, started a new one this week. I got a text from my boss this morning saying I'm done. I don't know what to do or where to turn. What advice do you have for someone who's lost two jobs in one month? I'm extremely depressed and I'm struggling to walk out of the house. I feel like I've lost my drive and purpose. 
I started a small side business before I lost my first job, but it's taking a little while to get customers. I've had one already and have one lined up for next week. I just don't have the cash on hand to market and grow. Now, Ryan, I clicked on your Facebook link that you had in your, or you put in your information. And I see Northern Colorado Window Cleaning, LLC. That's your business. You don't need a lot of cash on hand to market and grow that business. Go knock on 30 doors this afternoon and tell them how their windows are going to sparkle. Their customers are going to be happy. They're going to look like they're a brand new business. My gosh, describe what you're going to do as a window washer. I mean, I had a a lady one time that I worked with. This has been years ago now, but she had four children and her husband walked out, leaving her just high and dry. The guy was a jerk, but she had to confront the reality of where she was. I didn't talk to her about going to get a job. Go get a job 40 hours a week, making 12 bucks an hour. Not a chance it's going to work with the logistics of having four small children. I had her take a couple of her kids, go to Walmart, buy a squeegee and a bucket. I mean, she spent about four bucks on supplies. She walked up and down. I mean, I could tell you that it's Nolensville Road right here in Nashville. And I could take you to the very place today. She went up and down there, got customers immediately and found that she could effectively make 50 or $60 an hour washing windows, giving her the flexibility to do it when it suited her schedule. She did that for about eight months as the sole income stream for her and her family. If you have that, and don't beat yourself up about getting a text from your boss that's saying you're done, get out there, make your business work. You Again, you probably have seen too much to really be a good employee anyway. So confront the reality of that, get out there and make your business work. That way you don't have to be concerned about getting a text from your boss saying you're done. Well, this one comes, not going to use the name here. She says, hi, Dan. My husband's 31. He's a college grad. We've been married for six years. He has hopped around different jobs and hasn't really found anything that he finds fulfilling. Needless to say, this has caused a lot of stress. Do you recommend the Shawshank, Escaping Shawshank event for someone to help them uncover their life's calling? If you truly think it'll help, him focus in on a few areas that he needs to concentrate on in terms of a career path. We'll sign him up to go. If not, what do you recommend for someone who has yet to figure out what they want to do? Any thoughts on what I should do in the process? I'm quick to provide action steps for him for which he gets annoyed and feels that I am overbearing. Thanks so much. Well, thanks for being a concerned wife. Certainly it's something to be addressed. What do you, how can you help your husband? 31 years old, a college grad, and has not found work that's really fulfilling. You know, this is a sad commentary in some ways on our academic system. I mean, my gosh, our expectation is that getting a college degree prepares you for something meaningful, and it just so often does not. I mean, I don't know what his degree is in. You don't share that, but certainly the expectation would be that, that, wow, There's going to be work that lines up with what his degree is so he can make a reasonable income from doing that. That being said, we know 10 years after graduation, 80% of college graduates are doing something totally unrelated to their college degree. So yeah, it's not really something that forces you into a rut from which there's no escape. And fortunately so. I mean, we want the freedom to continue the process of exploration. But having done what you're doing, you know, having a variety of jobs does help in the clarification process. And usually those first three or four jobs right out of college, the primary value of those is just that. It's not to discourage you. It's to help you clarify what it is you don't want to do. So you keep getting closer and closer to that, which you do want to do. Now you talk about Shawshank. I mentioned last week, I don't want somebody to come to Shawshank where it's a choice between coming there or paying the mortgage or having food on the table for the family. I don't want it there. I I don't want somebody who is out of work and needs a paycheck, you know, a week after Shawshank is over. That's not a realistic approach for what we're going to do. Yes, we're going to help people unlock what is holding them back. Yes, we're going to look at ways to put legs on that, create a plan and ways to profit from that. But it's not going to be focused primarily on just how to get a job. 
It's going to be focused on how to really engage your creative skills and talents and passions and how to do things that would be more in the line with you know, writing or acting or singing or um, doing art. I mean, those are the kind of things that are more likely to come out of the Shawshank experience. So probably not a good choice for that. And I do have a discount code for that. I talked about that last week. This is probably the last time we'll mention it. If you, use, if you go to escapingshawshank.com and use Freedom 2015, you'll get a $350 discount on that. You know, which we'd love to see you there, but be clear about reading through and then knowing what your expectations are for that event. Now, here's an interesting one. David says, I'm from Houston, Texas. I have an idea that I've been working on for a while. Many student athletes come to college well-prepared academically, athletically, and emotionally, whereas other student athletes have struggles and can sometimes be described as at risk. These at-risk student-athletes have a difficult time handling daily struggles such as peer pressure, drugs and alcohol, boyfriend-girlfriend relationships, and other problems that often have an adverse effect on their performance in the classroom and on the field. I've seen countless student-athletes have off-the-field distractions and made bad decisions that led to loss of scholarship and negative publicity for the school and alumni. A position such as a student-athlete development coach should be created to assist student-athletes in their transition from high school to college. The student-athlete development coach position will help identify personal challenges early and get student-athletes the support and help they need to stay in school and succeed on and off the field. The National Football League has a player development position, which helps professional athletes minimize their off-the-field distractions. Why not colleges? My question is, how do I make money doing this? How do I get this program into colleges and universities? I've contacted colleges and universities, but many are not coming around to this idea. Thanks for any advice you give. Well, David, here's the deal. Be careful. I love your concept. I love the idea of a student athlete development coach. And goodness, we've all heard enough horror stories. I mean, here in Nashville, I mean, it's hard to Watch the nightly news without yet another story about some of the one of the college university athletes, you know, screwing up his life, doing something stupid. And then, like you're saying, jeopardizing not only his ability to play, but also the scholarship, embarrassing the university and so on. Constant problem. Certainly commend you on what you're proposing. But be careful about wanting a job for a creative skill like coaching. That's an example of one of those things where it may fit better as an independent contractor, a freelancer, consultant, entrepreneur. I mean, here, now you're in Houston. I'm not as familiar with that, but it's, it's a city similar to, to Nashville. Here in Nashville, we have 17 colleges and universities right here in the Nashville metro area. What if none of them wanted to give you a job, but you found eight of them that wanted to have you available for their student-athletes two days a month where you'd be available five hours a day, two days a month. So 10 hours, you're going to give them a month and they'll pay you a hundred dollars an hour as a coach to do that, which would be a, a very average kind of compensation. So let's just say that. So no, they aren't going to be, give you a job. They're scared of the idea. They don't know how to frame it, but they recognize, yeah, wow. You know, we had three guys just last month that kind of did some stupid things, got in trouble, got arrested. Man, I'd love to have somebody help them kind of turn the right corner with that. So let's say that you found eight schools out of the 17 that weren't going to give you a job, but they'd use you two days a month, just for 10 hours a month, they'd use you. Well, that's going to be a thousand dollars a month the way I proposed it. And if you do that with eight schools, that's a very reasonable, small investment for each of them without all the complexity of bringing you on as an employee. But that's going to mean $8,000 a month for you or roughly a hundred thousand dollars a year. See, if you think like that, it'll open up a whole lot of new doors that'll be totally closed if you're looking for a job. It's that just subtle shift from thinking about a job to thinking about creating the work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable, which all of us can do. You can take any skill that you have and maybe just frame it a little differently. I mean, if you're a graphic designer, you don't have to find a company big enough to give you 40 hours of work every week. What if you found 
five companies that could use you one day a week. I mean, you can triple your income doing that because the compensation is so much different if they don't have to create things for you to do 40 hours a week. You may be a graphic designer and they, you know, assigned you to go down and pick up mail at the post office. Well, that's a $8 an hour job, but they have to balance that out in paying you kind of an average fee because they can only use your specific, unique talent a few hours a week. What if you were using those specific, unique talents only But doing that for multiple companies, that's the way people create extraordinary income for themselves and stay focused in what it is that is really their unique skill. What is it that only you can do and do that? That's where you elevate your success. So David, I love your idea. Again, I think you can make that work. I think it's, it's creative and novel, but I think it has enough appeal if you present it right with uh, creative options for how to engage with those colleges and universities man, I think you can make that work. Y'all give me an update on that. Keep me posted. All right. Luke says, I found a few different things I can pursue that are creative business ideas related to my dream field, but slightly outside the norm. Should I work on two or three ideas at once and see which one gains traction and has a better return on investment as I go? Or should I completely focus on one idea for a certain amount of time, say six months or a year, and then if it doesn't gain traction, move on to the next? Well, that's a really reasonable question. I mean, when I use, I I talk often about using a Venn diagram for 48 days where it's three circles that overlap. And if you can kind of visualize that at one point, they're all going to intersect together. So I have something there and then there's six other areas of things that I can do. So that means I can be developing different kind of things. However, those different kind of things are all under the same umbrella so that activity in any one area fuels and embraces activity in the ones that it connects to. So it's not like, gee, on Tuesdays, I'm trying to start a landscaping business. And on Wednesday, I've got a window washing business. And on Thursday, you know, I'm writing eBooks. No, I only do things that are under one umbrella. So I'm a little hesitant to say you should not try two or three ideas, but I would only encourage you to do that. If in fact, those two or three ideas are really blended together. So if you have one, if here's how that would work. If you have a core message, if you're going to, well, I don't know what it is from your note that you should, that you would be doing, but let's, let's say that you have some great ideas about organic gardening. So the tour that you're going to explore actually growing a garden and selling produce at your local farmer's markets. That would be one idea. You're also going to write an ebook about how to do that, where anybody can grow an organic garden. You're going to create a seminar that you do once a month on a Saturday morning, and you're going to invite people to come to that seminar and pay you $89 a piece to do that. And you're also going to write a little course on how to do an organic garden. And you're going to uh, look at writing a more thorough manuscript on this whole process. Now, those are all ideas that are, they're very, they're different ideas. So we got four or five ideas, but they're very connected because they flow out of exactly the same core message. So that you can do, but if the ideas are not connected, then I would encourage you to just stick with one, work on it, focused totally on one for six or 12 months as you lay out here to get it up and going. I mean, there's an old, um, what's the old Confucius quotation? He says, the man who chases two rabbits catches none. Well, that's really true. I mean, I see that borne out a lot. People trying to do too many things and they, they limit their potential success in all the areas because they're too unfocused in any one area. When I work with coaches, I insist they become very, very focused, not just that they will help you with anything that happens to ail you. No, that that's not going to work. They have to become known as the go-to guy, go-to gal in a particular area. That's how we focus and get extraordinary success because of that. Now I've got a kind of a lengthy question here. Let me just kind of scan this. Randy says, I truly appreciate your hard work. I was so excited to try. Okay, I want to give you the essence of what he's saying. He says, I was excited to try the six-month experiment. I've been reading books by people like you, Dave Ramsey, John Maxwell, and others 
while listening to podcasts like yours and John Lee Dumas, Jamie Tardy's for years, all the while being stuck in a job that I absolutely loathe. I believe that it's killing me. I was working swing shift and he goes through that. I've changed departments for the last year or so. I've been working at the same company as a janitor, great hours, Monday through Friday, seven to three thirty, with enough pay to keep food on the table for me and my family. While I was working a swing shift, I'd make about seventy thousand a year. In my current position, I'll make less than fifty. But I get to come home, spend time with my wife and young daughter every night. That's worth the pay cut. Unfortunately, I have big dreams that I've not been able to bring into reality. My goal is to make twenty three thousand dollars a month, not twenty three dollars an hour. So when you mentioned the six month experiment, and that's where I said you can double your income in six months if you spend 30 minutes a day reading or listening to positive material. So he said, I redoubled my efforts every day. I read, listen to at least two and a half hours of great content. I have nothing to show for it. Don't think I don't love and appreciate the knowledge that I've gained. However, I've not been able to monetize my efforts. I've tried multiple different businesses. Something is wrong. I'm unable to make money. I'd like to model my business like yours. No employees work from home, multiple income streams. I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. I'm just trying to find the wheel that works for me. He goes through his latest idea there. Great idea, incidentally. Um, and Randy says, I feel like a rocket car primed and ready to explode, but I can't get into first gear. I'm desperate and lost. My wife is wonderful. I want to give her the world, but right now I can't afford to give her an empty box. Sometimes I get very depressed over the fact that I cannot get any traction, that I make myself into a more positive attitude and try harder. But so far my efforts have yielded zero. This is just one of the businesses I've tried without earning a single customer. I'm relatively young at 39, but I need a win so badly. I need a direction for my family to go. Please help. Thank you so much for your positive light in a dark world. Wow. I I love the the phrases, the imagery that you use, Randy. There's got to be some way to leverage that. You're a, what'd you say? You're a rocket car primed, ready to explode, but you can't get it into first gear. Hey, I spend late nights. If I need to unwind, I'm flipping channels like chasing classic cars. I love shows like that. The old looking at the old cars. And then I watch, watch the, uh, Barrett Jackson auctions. I've got on my bucket list this next year to go to the Barrett Jackson auction in Palm beach, Florida. I want to go down there and spend a few days with Joanne, just sitting there watching those classic cars come across the auction block. I'll try to keep my hands in my pocket. Well, anyway, Randy, you know, I really feel for you in what you're describing here. And you've obviously done a lot of right things to spend time reading, listening, and all of that. Again, I don't know what the roadblock is. I mean, I, I don't know how you can read all of that and listen to all the things that you're describing without getting real practical steps for things you can do yourself that will work. Now, true for all of us, it's a process of trial and error to really find the things that work well for us that do turn into creating income. I mean, I did a whole host of things, but in any business that I have had, I mean, I've always gotten customers when I wanted to do auto appeal, when I was going to do automotive accessories. Before I ever started the business, I went to seven car dealers in town and said, would you be a customer if I did this? So I developed a relationship. They all said without exception, yes, we would. And they did. That proved to be true. They were stayed true to their word. They became great customers, those and many more. But every business that I've started, I mean, when I was in car sales in California years ago, I just would talk to anybody who walked on the lot. I didn't prejudge people. I sold cars to people who walked on barefoot in you know, T-shirts and blue jeans. Most people would have prejudged them and decided they weren't a good customer. I just never did that. And I would sell cars to people that nobody else would sell cars to. But you, you got to figure out what is unique about what you're doing and get out there. But you also, and I've got to kind of just wrap this up. I wish I could unpack this in depth. But remember that critical trilogy that I talk about. And this is, this is one of my pet peeves with college degrees. Knowledge doesn't do anything for you. You don't need knowledge. I mean, knowledge in your head doesn't put any money in your pocket. If you need to know the capital of Afghanistan, 
pull out your iPhone and ask Siri in three seconds, she'll tell you. So knowledge is just the beginning. You have to go from knowledge to understanding to application. Now, I know you've done that here. And again, I grieve for you when you describe that you put together a business plan, went out, talked to people and got zero response. I can't imagine any business idea where you would talk to 20 potential customers and get zero response. Ask other people around you, you know, would you buy this? Share your idea with everybody. Try to get honest feedback from people to help have them help you see what it is that's holding you back. But keep in mind that critical progression. Knowledge is the first part, but then understanding and then application. That's where you have to move into to turn that knowledge into income for your family. And I, I, I need to talk to you personally. I, if I knew more about your situation, I think we could unpack some things. You've obviously, again, done a whole lot of right things. You've got to be really close to that idea that's going to put you over the top. Well, a couple more here, and I want to talk about that, this writing quandary. Why can't I make money writing? Dan, I thought you were in favor of writing, and then you burst my balloon. I want to get to that one. Johnny says, I've noticed a vast difference, but vast but distinct difference between the nine dollar an hour person, the $15 an hour person, the $25 an hour person, and a thriving business owner. You can listen to a conversation and know exactly where someone falls. The negativity and whining fall away as you climb up. So what Johnny's saying, as people make more money, their whining and complaining diminishes. The topics of conversation are completely different. I've personally hit all the points, but the thriving business owner out of desperation because of poor slope season planning. I took a call center job. I find that I really can't connect with any of my $9 an hour coworkers. The double time carrots that are used as incentives for overtime seem almost insulting to me. My time is way more valuable. My question, how do I surround myself with successful people? I've struggled at the grocery store, not having enough to buy milk, only to find the 25 cents I needed on the ground. I'm ready for change. Well, Johnny, you are ready for change from Lexington, Kentucky. You are certainly ready. Knowing that you see it as you do, you can frame it. You can see that people stop complaining and whining as they move up. I mean, you can start acting like a millionaire even before you are. I mean, that's one of the cool things. It's not people get a lot of money and then they become really nice people to be around. No, they become really nice people to be around and are doing all the right things when they have no money and money starts showing up in unexpected ways. So get little Dale Carnegie book, how to win friends and influence people. Make yourself that kind of person that people want on their team. They like to have you around. They want you as part of their mastermind. Look for people who are already performing at the level at which you want to perform. That's a big issue as well. So find those people who are high achievers, who are not whining and complaining. Figure out ways to spend time with them. Now, here's an example. Join an, I, when I have clients here, we often go to the country club. Now, this is the Vanderbilt Legends Country Club. Sounds fancy just saying the name. And it is. It's a beautiful, beautiful country club where they have like the Vince Gill golf tournaments there. They have major golf tournaments there. All the big players come to town and so on. I'm a member there. Wow, aren't you impressed with that? That means I can take my clients there for lunch. And we go to the dining area there and I can get, golly, there's one particular dish that I get. It's $7.95. So we're not talking, I mean, it's the same prices as if you went to O'Charlie's. But it's a, it's a really beautiful country club setting. Great food, great wait staff. I know them all there and I go there often. Now that being said, I mean, obviously, I'm just some privileged character to have a, a country club membership like that. Let me tell you how that works. I'm not a golfer. I, I don't golf. I don't have the patience for it. While those guys are out chasing a little ball around for three hours in the afternoon, I can create a new product and make $100,000. That's my view on it. So I, I don't golf, not interested in it at all. What do you think my membership costs me a year? 25000 to have the privilege to go there to eat? Well, if it would, I would not be telling you this story. Trust me. It costs nothing. Zero. I don't pay anything. All I do is eat lunch there. And once a month, I get a bill for whatever lunches Joanna and I have had there. That's it. 
but it puts me, I mean, Joanne was there the other day and she sat next to Michael W. Smith on one side and Daryl Waltrip on the other. She was with Gail Hyatt, Michael Hyatt's wife, you know, and that's the kind of company that you're in. So look for opportunities to put yourself around people who you know, are high achievers. And you can do that without having the budget for anything other than what you're already doing. Just be creative about looking for ways to put yourself next to people who are achievers. Well, a couple other things here. Todd Stocker. Now we hear from Todd often. Great guy. He says, I'm in the process of finishing up my next ebook called five ways to balance your life, which I'll be giving away for free on my website. One of the chapters deals with the idea of saying no more than saying yes in order to accomplish your dreams. Now here's a quote. He says it came to mind that the 48 days community might enjoy. So check this out from Todd. Sometimes it is better to say no and lose your job than it is to say yes and lose your soul. Wow. That's really powerful. Thanks, Todd. Man, that's a great line. Sometimes it's better to say no and lose your job than to say yes and lose your soul. Well, keep us posted when you have your ebook up, Five Ways to Balance Your Life. Be happy to pass that along when you got that available. Okay, now here's a question. I'm, I'm probably going to end, end with this one. Michael says, from, from Colorado Springs, Michael says, Dan, I love your podcast. I've been listening for several months now. I've joined the 48days.net community. The podcast community have been a huge part of my current in-progress launch of my fiction book, The Immense Center. I've made friends and connected with a coach as a result of your leadership in your last podcast, work is love made visible. You answered Matthew by saying, I don't think you should look at writing as a means for income. I feel like you left me hanging as a fiction writer. What other ways can I generate income from fiction writing? All right. This is a painful, painful topic. I mean, we know that 81% of Americans say they have a book inside them that they'd like to write. I mean, I love writing and what it's allowed for me, the doors that it's open for me. But you're right. When, when somebody says, gee, I'm going to write a book. Okay, that's great. Um, what's your business? Well, what do you mean? I'm, I'm, I'm going to write a book. Okay, that's fine. But what's your business? And people are like, look at me like a deer in the headlights. I say, what do you mean? That's what I'm going to do. Well, lots of luck with that plan. I mean, the people who write a book and make enough income from that to keep food on the table are few and far between. Now, am I one to dream big and to go where no one else has gone and to think they can be accomplished even if somebody else is not? Well, yes, Absolutely. And I've done that with writing, incidentally. I mean, knowing that 95% of authors never make more than $40,000 a year, was that discouraging to me? No. I simply looked at that and said, geez, how difficult can it be to put yourself into the 5%? All I got to do is do things that the 95% of authors aren't willing to do. And I've done a lot of that. And I've had a lot of fun doing that. But let me go through a couple of things for you here as authors. Now, we know that in any given year, last year, there was about 1.2 million new books released. 1.2 million new books released. Okay, so get your head around that. 950,000 titles out of that 1.2 million. 950,000 titles sold fewer than 99 copies. Okay, let me just drop down. Fewer than 500 sold 100,000. Now, here's the deal. You can watch the rankings on Amazon. You'll get a book on Amazon. Uh, I've already mentioned books on here today. I mean, one of the books I mentioned is ranked like at 2,313,000. That means that it's not selling anything. I mean, it may be selling one a month. I mean, if a book is... If a book is ranked 10,000 and up, and that's really good to be in a 10,000 category. If you were even at 10,000, that means it's selling about five copies a week. For a book to be in the top 500, eh, maybe selling 80 or 90 
copies a week. I mean, we're, so we're not talking hundreds of thousands. We're still, even at that ranking, talking about pretty reasonable numbers there. Now, let me just give you a little bit more on this. So you want to be an author. The average sales, if you get a major publisher, so you get a Random House, Doubleday, Viking, somebody like that, HarperCollins behind your book. The average sales with a major publisher is about 7,000 copies. The average sales for a Christian publisher, so you get with Zondervan or Thomas Nelson, one of those, that's about 4,000 copies. So let's just kind of work this out. Let's say that you write a book, you do a great job, the book sells for $12.95, you're going to get an 18% royalty on the net to the publisher, which means without going through all the logistics, you're going to get about a dollar each. So if you sell 4,000 copies in the entire life of the book, you're going to get $4,000. Well, now wait, can I just self-publish? Yeah, you can self-publish. Not a problem with that at all. What if you still sell it for $12.95, but your cost is only $2.95, so now you're making 10 bucks a book, rock and roll. Well, the average number of books sold for self-published authors is less than a hundred copies. I mean, you sell it to your friends, your neighbors, your cousins, and, and you know, you kind of run out of steam. So the average is less than a hundred copies. So if you're right on average, you're going to make a thousand bucks from doing that. I mean, to me, a book is a sales brochure for a real business, not the business itself. Again, I I'm, know I'm going to frustrate a lot of you out there who are authors. I mean, again, I love writing. Joanne's not a, got a new book coming out creating a haven of peace. We are so excited about this book. I mean, it's, it's going to really be awesome. People have been asking for the message, but is that going to, you know, I mean, I can buy a Ferrari next week. Uh, not a chance. No, it has no bearing on that at all. We're very realistic about what it's going to do financially, although it's a major work for her and something she's totally passionate about. But writing for me is just simply like a business card. I hand out my books liberally because it introduces people to the other things that I do where I really make money, like speaking and other kind of instructional course materials, live events that we do, coaching that I do, affiliate relationships we have, all those kind of things. You know, there's a, there's a blog, you can find it, where Seth Godin talks about advice. You can, if you just Google advice for authors, you'll see a piece by Seth Godin, who is a very respected author. And he, he talks about this idea about people, you know, wanting to plant their flag on the book that they wrote. He says, lower your expectation. Here's another thing. The best time to start promoting the book that you've got is three years before it comes out. Three years to build a reputation, build a permission asset, build a blog, build a following, build credibility, build the connections you'll need later. He goes through other things. You know, don't try to sell your books to everybody. You know, don't, don't waste your time trying to find a publisher. He goes over a whole lot of things in this. Um, if you've got the patience, bookstore signings and talking to book clubs are the two lowest paid work methods you'll ever do. If you do it 200 times a year, you, you know, you'll make a little money. So he goes through the reality of what writing a book is going to do for you. And he's, this is especially true in the fiction area. Oh my gosh. I mean, the self-help books, you've got a shot at getting a little traction there, but in fiction, how to be the next Danielle Steele or John Grisham. I mean, can it be done? Obviously there are people who have done that. Um, there's no proven path to make that work. Um, again, I, I, I hate to, I hate to, uh, end on a downer note. And I don't want to, I love writing. I encourage you if you want to write to write yesterday in my mastermind, we had a conversation. One of the guys in there who's really doing an awesome job of coaching said he wanted to just block out the next three or four months and write a book because he felt like having a book was necessary as the next step to his credibility. I said, don't you dare do that. There's way too high an opportunity cost. You'll never recapture the time lost, time and income lost, if you just block off three or four books to, or three or four months to write a book. Don't do that. Spend an hour a day. You know, write 500. If you write 500 words a day and do that for 80 days, you get a 40,000 page book or 40,000 word book. That would be awesome. 500 words a day, that's like writing a little blog. So do that, but don't just 
put everything on hold to write a book thinking that then somehow the income is going to show up at your door. It just doesn't work that way. Well, again, I want to encourage you writers. Sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but writing is a tool to introduce people to the other things that you do. Don't just put all your eggs in that basket. You're going to be disappointed. I talk to people every day who are so disappointed because even those who got a major publisher to take their book, that's not a magic pill. It's not going to change your financial portfolio unless you make your business that of getting out there and selling your book. We can talk about that another time. Well, my goodness, time is blown by here. Maybe I should have devoted an entire podcast to the book issue. I know it's so common. There's so many of you who want to write books. And again, I, I love to share on here when you write books, when you got an ebook that you're giving away, it can do wonders for you in terms of helping introduce people to what it is that you really do. That's the way I see it. Hey, keep those questions coming in. Love to hear from you every week. It's the highlight of my week to open that mailbox. Just go to 48days.com. Click on Ask Dan. Put it in there. Send me a voicemail. You got a microphone there if you want to talk or just send an email to askdan at 48days.com. Well, remember our quotation? Don't make work the only thing that you do. Make it what Thoreau talked about. Have a wonderful week.